Let us commit to being faithful followers of Jesus Christ, determined to live a victorious life in him. Uh, let us serve faithfully, looking forward to the place of honor, the place that we will be seated with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Welcome to Wesley Amy Zion Church, where we are working the vineyard through faith, worship, witness, and service. Is your church become lukewarm? Have you become lukewarm as a Christian? Well, today, Pastor Jones shares with us the dangers of becoming lukewarm. Let's go into the message. Welcome to Wesley Amy Zion Church, where we're working the vineyard through faith, worship, witness, and service. We have another blessed word in store for you on today, so let's go ahead and get into our text. It comes from the book of Revelations, chapter 3, and our text will cover the 14th verse through the 22nd verse. So let's go into Revelations, chapter 3, and begin our reading at verse 14. It reads, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are uh, lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear, so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes, so you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. I want to share today from the subject of the danger of being lukewarm. The danger of being lukewarm. Let us pray. Most gracious and wonderful Father, we come now to bless you, to thank you, to give glory and honor to your name. God, we just continue to praise and celebrate you for who you are and for all that you've done for us and all that you continue to do. Again, Father, we thank you for keeping us through this pandemic. We thank you, God, for being our supplier. We thank you, God, that you're always there and that we still have access to your glorious throne and to your kingdom. We ask now, God, that you would give us a word. We pray, Father, that you would anoint us afresh to receive it. And I pray, Father, that you would anoint me afresh to give, give it and provide it. Father, we ask now that you would bless us and that you would open our ears and help us to listen. Oh, God, that you would open our eyes, for we want to see Jesus. Then open our hearts that we might receive him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Blessed Holy Ghost, amen. The danger of being lukewarm. We have been dealing with the effects and the conditions of COVID-19 pandemic for about five months now. We are still practicing social distancing and, and making sure that we have good hygiene practices. You see, we have all had to learn to cope with new standards and new ways of doing things. You see, we are not just adapting to new standards and new ways in our personal lives, but we're adapting to new standards and new ways even in the church. 
You see, the church has been forced to shift and to change our normal ways of operation. We don't have the gatherings of the saints on Sunday morning in a building like we used to. We don't have the fellowship one with another face to face and sharing of Christian love like we used to. You see, we don't have the collective lifting of voices to sing some of the great hymns of our church. See, this pandemic has exposed something in the church. It has exposed the lukewarm spirit the church has been operating in for some time. You see, all ministries, large or small, are going to have to take a grip on themselves and, and look at the ministry in which they engage in. They're going to have to look at the state of the ministry. See, what have we been relying on? You see, has God been our source or have we been relying on self? You see, have we built ministries on big names and, and catchy ideas or have we built ministries on Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone of the church? Whatever state that you find yourself in, there's one thing is for sure, that we've got to do things differently than we've done before. And the thing is too, whatever state you find yourself in, we didn't get there overnight. The church has gotten to this place over a period of time. Yes, you see, when we have come to this place and, and we've gotten here to this place of lukewarmness, God is not pleased with the state of the church. Another thing that the pandemic has exposed is the commitment of the church. When I say commitment, I'm not referring to uh, uh, just the building, but I'm referring to the people of the ministry. We are the true church. We are the church and the body of Christ. We are what's gone into a lukewarm state. You see, for many of us, the depth of our personal commitment to Christ and his church is weak or non-existent. See, the church has been in a space uh, and we've gotten here, not overnight, but it's gotten here over a period of time. And yes, we do a lot of talking about Jesus, but is it really about the money? We declare that we trust God and, and he's the source of our lives, but are we really trusting and relying on ourselves? See, we say God is the head and we're following him, but we follow what man says over what God says. See, the church has been in a lukewarm state for some time now, and it's time for us to get better. See, in order to overcome the lukewarmness of the church, we must allow God to reveal the conditions and follow the prescribed remedy. This first thing I want us to see out of our text is this, the condition of being lukewarm. In verses 15 through 16, Jesus tells the church of Laodicea, I know you. I see you. I have factual report on you. Yes, see, we, we're making a mistake if we try to leave this text in 95 AD. We have to bring this text forward to us today. And see, what he's saying is, I see you as a church today. I see you. I see you, Wesley Amazon Church. I see you, any other church, just fill in the name there. I see you, and I know who you are. I know the type of church that you are. See, it's not just about the Laodicean church, but it's about every church that exists today. God is telling us that he knows us. He's telling us that he sees us and he has a factual report on who we are as a congregation and as individuals. See, Jesus introduces two contrasting things to expose the condition of being lukewarm. 
Jesus uses hot and cold as a reference point to communicate his message to the church. See, he references Heropopolis, a, a city known for its hot springs with, with its pro hot healing properties as the hot. Then he references Colot the church in Colossae, a city where the, the cool, refreshing water was known to bring refreshment to many, especially during the summer and hot months. But he uses these two, hot and cold, to contrast and to show something to the church at Laodicea. He tells them that you are neither hot nor cold, but I wish you were either one or the other. What he's telling them is this, you bring no healing or no refreshing. You have no good quality about you as a church. You have no benefit as a church. You have no benefit to those who would come and be a part of that congregation. Yes, you see, where you're healing in the broken souls. Are you healing those who need to be healed? Are, are you providing a refreshing to those weary spirits that are out there? And the answer is no. They're not providing any healing for the broken souls. They're, they're not providing any refreshing for weary spirits. And because of your condition, Jesus says, I will spit you out of my mouth. See, what that is telling us is this. Jesus had expectations on the church. And but also Jesus references the hot and the cold because he understands the, the culture of that time and he understood that the church of Laodicea would understand what he was talking about. You see, there was an aqueduct that was built to bring water into the city. One came from uh, Heropopolis and one came from Colossae. The hot and the boiling hot water was come from Heropopolis, but Colossae would bring the cool and refreshing waters which ran down from the mountains. But the problem was by the time that it got to the city of Laodicea, the water was lukewarm. And when the citizens had all of these great expectations for this new indoor plumbing that they had installed, they were bringing water into the city. They found themselves when they got a chance to taste the water, that the water was no good. And they wound up spitting the water out because the water was actually disgusting. It did not bring them what they desired. It did not bring them what they expected. And Jesus is saying the same thing to the church at Laodicea. And he's possibly saying the same thing to us today. Are we bringing him what he desires? Are we meeting the expectations of God? See, over time, the church of Laodicea had become indifferent to the things of God. Are we indifferent to the things of God today? Do we even care about the standard of God? Do we even care about the word and the message of God anymore? We have to ask ourselves these questions because the church is in a poor condition. See, Jesus was telling them, you no longer are palatable. Yes, you are no longer pleasing to the taste. You're no longer bringing me pleasure. And as a result of them no longer bringing him pleasure, Jesus said, I will spit you out of my mouth. My, 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 that is a dangerous place for us to be as a people of God and as a congregation. To be in a space where God said, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. We must make sure that we're doing everything possible to live a life that is pleasing to God. To be a church that is pleasing to God. To honor God in every way that we possibly can. 
So when we look at this church, and it's telling us that the condition of the church was one who was lukewarm, and we see in the beginning that it's not pleasing to God to have a lukewarm church. See, what was observed about this church was what was observed about each and every individual in the church. They were lukewarm. They were not living up to the expectations that God had upon them. The second thing that I want us to see out of our text is this. The symptoms of being lukewarm. If we look at verse 17, it gives us the symptoms of being lukewarm. Jesus begins to rebuke the church in this particular verse, and he begins to deal with their condition. He begins to tell them about the symptoms that they were having. See, they were guilty of replacing God. Yes, it's dangerous when a church begins to put more praise on the, the value of money that they have in it or, or the, the value of what they think they have as a congregation. And when we are actually possibly leaving God out of the church altogether. You see, they had become self-dependent and they no longer were dependent upon God. You see, they associated their wealth with God's approval. They're making the same mistake that the church made in the Old Testament. And that some made even in the New Testament when they associated their wealth with the fact that they were pleasing with God. When in all actuality, God doesn't care about your money. God cares about your soul. So when they got caught up in thinking that, yes, we are a wealthy church and yes, we have all of these resources, we are in favor with God. See, the church had lost interest in loving God. And they were allowing their wealth and their worldly desires to choke the word to the point that it was unfruitful. He said, they looked at themselves and said that we have done all of this. Yes, I don't need a thing. And unfortunately to them, that included God. They not only said that they didn't need anything materially, but they also said we don't need anything. They were not relying on God. They were not trusting God for their existence. They were not trusting God for the future of their church and their ministry. They were no longer trusting God, but they were trusting only in themselves. But as soon they will soon find out that unless you put your trust in the Lord, and unless you put all of your trust in God, it will all fail. You see, Jesus goes on and he begins to get direct with this church. Jesus gives them the symptoms that they are displaying. He says that you are wretched, you're pitiful, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. What he's telling them is you're wretched because you're spiritually destroyed. There is no good in you. There's no good value coming from you. You are spiritually destroyed. He's telling them that they're pitiful or, or miserable, as some translation tells us. That you are a spiritual failure. That you're the worst of the seven churches. Now isn't that interesting? While they were the richest of all seven churches given to us out of the book of Revelations in the first uh, three chapters, they're also the spiritual poorest church in this particular section. Isn't that amazing? They put so much stock in their money while they were spiritually poor. But Jesus goes on to say, and you're poor. You're weak and lack enduring faith. You're failing in your trust of Almighty God. It's a shame for the church or those individuals in the church to be weak or lacking in faith or have a faith failure. But he goes on to say that you're not only 
pitiful and wretched and, and poor, but you're also blind. You're insensitive to the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit. You're not leading and being led and guided by the Spirit of God, but you're being led and guided by your own whims and your own devices. And what Jesus is trying to get them to understand and to see is you are spiritually blind. You can't see the spiritual things of God. You can't discern the spiritual things of God because you have allowed yourselves to be deceived. And not only says that they're blind, but he says they're naked. He says that you have no clothes on. There's shame on you, and you don't even know it. You are uncovered before the world, and you don't even realize it. What we've got to understand is Jesus is pulling back the covers on the church. He's pulling back the curtain and letting the world see the church for what it is. Don't think I'm still talking about 95 AD. Yes, Jesus is pulling the curtain back even on the church in 2020 and allowing the world to see what we are. But the question is, do we see what we are? Do we have enough spiritual sight to see the problem of the church? Do we have enough spiritual sight to see who we are and what we really are in the eyes of God? see, the real problem was their ignorance to their real condition. He says, do you not realize what state you're in? See, we must never become the independent of God, but we must always be dependent on God. See, we depend on God for salvation. Trying to save yourselves is a losing battle, one that you will fail at every single time. We depend on God for wisdom because true wisdom comes only from the Lord. We depend upon God, and the bottom line is that God is the source, and we need to depend upon him in every way and in all things. When we learn to depend upon God in every way and in all things, we'll then begin to follow what it says in Proverbs 3 and 5, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding. When we come to the place where we're leaning on God in every way, we're trusting on God, in God in every way, we're always dependent upon God. We're never dependent upon ourselves. We're never trusting in ourselves to get it done. But we're always dependent upon God. When we come to that place where we're always dependent upon God, we will be favorable in the sight of God. We will become a pleasant taste in God's mouth at that point. We'll become hot and cold. We'll bring healing and refreshing because we have done what God desires of us. The third thing that I want us to see out of our text is this. The remedy for being lukewarm. The prescription portion of your medical exam is probably the shortest part of your visit. It takes more time for you to be examined and questioned by the doctor so that he can come to some kind of conclusion or to some kind of uh, area that he knows that he can now go in to treat whatever symptoms you have. And it only takes a short time to write that prescription. Well, we've come to the prescription portion of this spiritual examination. We've come to that portion where, where Jesus is now writing a prescription for lukewarmness. When we look at the text and we understand that Jesus is now giving them the answer to the problem. And Jesus always gives us a way to correct the problems that we're having. See, Jesus gives them the remedy, the medicine, the, the cure for being lukewarm. He tells them to come to him and buy gold, to buy clothing, and to put eye salve on. But he's telling them to come to him and get these things. What Jesus is trying to tell them is, you've gone into the world and you, you've got the money. 
You got it the worldly way. You, you, you got the clothing. You, yes, you dress nice. You dress fine. And yes, you even have a school there in Laodicea who's, who's known for the eye salve that they have. But none of those things will compare to the riches that I can give you. None of those things will compare to the clothing that I can dress you in. None of those eye salves will compare to the eye salve that I can give you, to give you sight. When we look at what Jesus is trying to tell this church, come and get the gold that I offer you. Come and get something that has been tested and tried. Come and get something that has already passed through the fire. Come and get something that has come out pure because all the impurities have been stripped away. Come and get something that is everlasting and will make you eternally rich. Yes, it's one thing to be materialistically rich in this world, but we ought to be striving after eternal riches. We ought to be striving after the riches that will last a lifetime and then some. Yes, once we die here on this earth, all of the riches that we built up are going to go to somebody else. It'll go to our family or it'll go to the government. We won't even get a chance to see it anymore. We won't even get to know what's happened to it after we left this place. Oh, but my God, when we built up eternal riches and we put our riches in the kingdom of God, we put our faith in the thing that has been trusted and tried already. Yes, and when he talks about clothing, he says you need to come and be dressed in, in the white clothing. I know you had those nice black clothing that you've been known for. I know you have all of the fine clothes that you've been known for in the city of Laodicea, and you've been known to be some fine dressing people. But I need you to come and receive clothing that can genuinely cover you. Oh, yes, their clothing may have covered their bodies, but it didn't cover their shame. It didn't cover their sinfulness. It didn't keep them from being judged. But the clothing that Jesus is offering them, the clothing that he says, if you come and receive this clothing from me, you'll get the clothing that brings righteousness. You'll get the clothing that genuinely covers. The clothing that not only covers your body, but it covers your sin. It covers your shame before Almighty God. Yes, you see, nakedness was symbolized uh, a symbol of judgment and, and humility. And we don't want to be humiliated. We don't want to be in a sinful state before God, but we want to stand before God righteous. And the only way that we can stand before God in a righteous state is to have the imputed righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. And the only way that we can get dressed in his righteousness is we have to come to Christ. He's the only one who can provide you with the clothing that will cover you both physically and spiritually. And then he tells them to come and get some eye salve. Yes, put this eye salve on that I give you. Yes, they had a medical school in Laodicea who was known for their, their, their uh, Fajira powder. And it's this powder that they would mix it into a doughy paste and then put it on their eyes and it would deal with many of the eye problems that people had. But Jesus said, you've got one eye problem that that stuff won't fix. You can't see how you really are. And if you come to me, I can give you the salve to put on your eyes where you can truly see. Where you can have your spiritual eyes open and you can see yourself as you really are. When you can see yourself the way that I see you. What Jesus is saying, come and get your spiritual sight back. 
Come and, and get your spiritual blindness dealt with. I can heal you of your spiritual blindness, but you have to come to me. You can't get this out in the world. You have to come and receive it from me. Jesus lets, uh, lets me give you uh, some counsel and say, let me give you some counsel so that you can fix the problem that you're having. Jesus says, stop trusting in your man-made marketplaces and come to the divine marketplace to get your goods. What we need to fix uh, uh, being lukewarm is, is God going to give it all to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Everything that we need to fix being lukewarm, God will give it to us through his son, Jesus Christ. It can only be found in Jesus Christ. That's what the text is trying to tell us. That all the things that we need in life to get it right, to fix it, can be found in Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying, I am the marketplace you need to come to. I have everything that you need. You have resources, but I can make you truly rich. I can make you spiritually rich. You wear fine clothes, and yet you are still walking around with your shame showing. I can dress you and clothe you in a way that you no longer have shame or you no longer have uh, the ridicule on you. But I can dress you and give you this eye salve that you will now be able to see who you really are and to be able to see what you really are. Come and put this eye salve on that I can give you so that you can see and see accurately. Jesus is simply saying, if you're going to fix your problem, I've got the remedy. And the remedy you have to get from me. Yeah, you can't get this from your uncle or your auntie. You, you can't get this from your mother or your father. You can't get this from your grandmother or your grandfather. You've got to get it from Jesus Christ. You've got to get it from the one who makes it all possible. You've got to get it from the one who has all riches. You, you've got to get it from the one who is the righteous one. You've got to get it from the one who can see all things. You've got to get it from Jesus Christ, the righteous. The fourth thing that I want us to see out of our text is this. The remedy brings hope. In verses 19 through 20, we find hope in the text. See, the hope in the text is he says he loves them and he rebukes and he disciplines those whom he loves. Isn't that good news? What it tells us is this, that God didn't give up on them. Even in the condition that they were in, even in their lukewarm state, he says, I still love you. And I, I discipline and I chastise those who I love. What he's simply telling them, I'm giving you a chance. I'm giving you a chance to get it right. And when he rebukes them and he gives them this, this love, this rebuke is out of love. Yes, this discipline is a, an act of love. And as he gives it to them, he's referring them back to Hebrews 12 and 6. He says, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. When we're belonging to Jesus Christ, when we're in the body of God, and when we are part of his kingdom, yes, he will discipline us. He will rebuke us when necessary, but he does so out of love. It's not from a place of, of vindictiveness, but it's out of love that he disciplines us. It's out of love that he rebukes us. See, the desired response is for a real and true change to come into our life. The desired response is for real and true repentance to take place. You see, the results depend upon the believer's response. Even though he's given them the prescription, even though he's told them all that they needed to do, the repentance that leads to service and rewards depends upon our response to Jesus Christ. 
See, rejection leads to us suffering the judgment of God. See, the hope doesn't stop there. He said, he said I want you, I want to be in your life. I want in. Now, this is the sad part of the text. Jesus is outside of his church knocking on the door saying, please let me in. And when we understand what he's asking is, he said, let me in so that we can once again have fellowship. Let me in so that we can once again enjoy an intimate meal together. Eating together was a sign of intimacy. And what Jesus is simply asking for is, I want to be intimate with you again. I want to be in that place again where I can enjoy you and you can enjoy me. He wants this intimate fellowship with those who are in a lukewarm state. But we got to understand that he no longer wants to be locked out. But he wants to be inside. He wants to be with his people. He wants to be there for them. And he wants to be able to enjoy them. He wants them to be a sweet smelling savor in his nostrils. He wants them to be a sweet taste like the honeycomb on his lip. He wants us once again to be the thing that he called us and designed us to be. And that is a fruitful Christian growing in Christ. What Jesus is simply asking for, can we be intimate again? Can we come back to that place where love was being shared between you and I? Can we come back to that place where we were loving one another? But I never stopped loving you. You stopped loving me. So when we understand that Jesus has got hope for the church, his remedy will bring hope, but it's all dependent upon their response. And the final thing that I want us to see out of our text is this. The reward of overcoming being lukewarm. When we understand that Jesus gives us opportunity. And he says for those who overcome. When you overcome and those who come out victorious. Oh, I got a reward for you. And he's saying that when you overcome. I've got a special place for you. Hallelujah. See, if we open the door, Jesus will come in and take his rightful place in the church. See, Christ is calling the church to repent and live passionately for him. Just as I sit at the right hand of the Father on the throne, you too will sit at my hand, right hand on the throne that I have. See, 2 Timothy 2 and 12 tells us that we shall reign with Christ, Allah, if we endure. Yes, if we endure to the end, we shall reign with him. The other part of that verse says how, you know, we will suffer with him. We will also reign with him. How can we try to reign with Christ when we won't suffer with him? How can we try to reign with Christ when we won't have anything to do with him? He's saying if we overcome, if you open the door and let me in and, and those who are overcomers, I've got a place for you on my throne. I, I've got a special place that you can sit with me in authority. I, I've got a special place that you can be with me, oh my God, for the rest of eternity. When we understand that Jesus Christ is telling there are rewards to overcoming lukewarmness. And there's also a judgment to come if we don't overcome it. But we have to understand that we must overcome a lukewarm state. We must overcome it by the remedies that God has given us. And we must go to him and him alone to get the remedies that we need to fix. We must go to him and him alone to get the medicine that's needed to fix our spiritual lukewarmness. And as I close, I want us to understand this. 
I encourage each of us today to have a consultation with the great physician, Jesus Christ. Go into the visit with an open heart and an open mind and open eyes. Ask him to give you a true assessment of your condition. Uh -huh. we, when you make your appointment for him and he gives you your prescription, you take your prescription and you get it filled. And I want you to be faithful in taking every dose of the prescription that's been prescribed to you. Uh -huh. Let us accept the loving correction of our Heavenly Father and then walk in peace and harmony with Him. And let us make every effort to, to make sure that Christ is a part of everything that we do as a church. And let us come commit to having intimate fellowship with Jesus both individually and collectively as a church family. Let us commit to being faithful followers of Jesus Christ determined to live a victorious life in Him. Uh, let us serve faithfully looking forward to the place of honor, the place that we will be seated with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us serve the body of Christ, not getting weary, not wavering, and not falling by the wayside. Let us not put our hope and our trust in our own riches, but let us put all of our hope and our trust in Jesus Christ, the righteous one. If you feel like you're lukewarm, take the prescribed medicine. Go to Jesus and Jesus alone and receive the things that you need. You need a faith that has been tested and tried. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, has been tried and he's been tested true. You need to be dressed in the righteousness of Jesus. And you need to make sure that you can see spiritually and see clearly. So when we get these prescriptions and we've taken them and they've done the job, there's a reward for us. We'll be seated with our Savior on his throne. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. We pray that this message was a blessing to you. If it was, drop us an email at wesleyonmain at yahoo.com. That's wesleyonmain at yahoo.com to let us know how this message has touched your life. Until next time, God bless.